uh, behavior is often reflective of something happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. It isn't, and I tell this to my staff, and I tell this to adults who listen, kids don't wake up in the morning thinking about you. They don't think about, I'm going to go to school and just give my teacher mm-hmm. all kinds of problems. It's just a, it's, it's a reaction dealing with what's going, going on in their life. Today on Doing Good, the podcast, changing your course in life to follow the path of doing good. Now, if you listen to this show, you know how it works. We talk all the time about people doing good things, just part of their everyday life, working it in when you can, where you can, doing what you can to make the world a little bit better every day, right? But sometimes life brings you an opportunity, a chance clearly to do something really good for people, and it totally changes the course of your life. That happened to today's guest. Mike Marion volunteered to coach a boys' basketball team. That was it. But that decision led to an entirely new direction. And now he runs an after-school ministry called Rise Up in Johnson City, Tennessee. Mike's team now does more than just coach basketball. He's the coach of a team teaching young people how to be amazing humans. And we think you're going to be blown away by the story as you hear how a man left his everyday walk and took on the title of coach, it's our hope that you may be inspired to be on the lookout for those quiet nudgings, those gentle pleadings that open the door to something wonderful and changes your story for the good. Hi, if you're new here, I'm Dr. Becky Powers. And I'm Josh Smith. Welcome to Doing Good, the podcast. Where we sit and talk with people in our community who are doing good things that inspire us and we hope will inspire you. Now on with the show. Hi, everyone. We're back and we're talking with Coach Mike Marion from the Rise Up um, program here in Johnson City, Tennessee. Um, and uh, welcome. Thank you for being here today. Oh, it's good to be here. Have you grown since I saw you last? You are a tall man. I am a tall man. <laughs> I am a tall Tallest in my family. Really? Yeah. Uh, from uh, uh, d- uh, you were towering above everybody in Hancock County, Tennessee. <laughs> uh, when I left Hancock in my sophomore year, uh, well, my freshman year, I come back. Back and grew six inches, and Ooh. everybody assumed that I could play basketball because I was the tallest kid in school. Yeah. After the first day, I quickly dispelled them with that <laughs> of those thoughts. But I am tall. Yeah. Uh, that is the burden of the tall people. That is the burden is of the they, tall people. They hear, uh, "You play basketball? <laughs> How's the weather up there? Yeah. And do you play basketball? Oh yeah. Yes. Those Josh are... has also very tall sons yeah. uh, who are six three, and I and the the younger son is I'm pretty yeah, sure going to be. Six four, six five, and he plays basketball. He's trying to anyway. Yeah, I think after hearing from everyone, it's his destiny. Yeah, (laughs) and you know, it was with basketball that your destiny changed dramatically. I I recently had a chance to talk to you, and I was amazed by this moment where you agreed to coach a youth basketball team. Correct. Can you share with us that story and how that happened? Well, I grew up loving basketball, not being very good at it, but I loved basketball. And most of it was just knowledge, and I actually played in the game. And so just other than college, playing some intramurals, uh, when we moved back here in 92 uh, to open a, a group home, uh, the way we were zoned, we were zoned with Stratton Elementary, which is a low-income school back in the day. And they were looking for uh, Parks and Rec uh, volunteer coaches, and they were having a shortage because – most of the kids at that time at Stratton come from fatherless and uh, single-parent homes. And so I agreed to coach basketball and know very little about the coaching thing. Hmm. 
I mean, I knew about basketball by actually coaching. And but we had seven kids, and those kids all just started doing better in school playing on the basketball team. You weren't tutoring them. I wasn't tutoring them. I was just strictly coaching them in the game of basketball. And we were hideous. I mean, <laughs> we, were, we were just hideous. We won one game that's caused the other team forfeited. But, but we celebrated greatly. Um, and so they started doing better academically, behaviorally. And they just asked me, could I keep meeting with my basketball team? Who's they? Uh, Laura Henderson, who's still the guidance counselor at Fairmont Elementary now. And she just said, hey, could you keep on meeting with these boys because they're just doing better? And I was just like, yeah, I can do that. And so I know all the language now, but didn't know it then. Mm-hmm. We didn't have a strategic plan. We didn't have a methodology. We didn't have an organization. We didn't have any of that stuff. I just had a bunch of boys who <laughs> listened to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so we just started meeting, and we've been doing some version of that ever since. Mm. And what year was this? This was about 93. Okay. Yeah, because yeah. Stratton Elementary School is not a name that I know. So. Uh, it's been closed for a long, long time. Okay. Yeah, because I've been here since 97. And, yeah. Right. Isn't mm. that now central office for the city schools? No. no, no uh, it's Dawn of Hope. Dawn of Hope now. Oh, yes, okay. right. Dawn of yeah. Hope. Which is a service for developmental uh, disabled people. Correct. And that was the, um, and it's really interesting because uh, how, whether you believe in faith or uh, coincidence, either way you want to go, it's like uh, we were meeting at Stratton Elementary to play basketball. And then we'd go across the street at uh, Unique Avenue Baptist Church and have our, uh, we called the group Boys to Men, have our meeting there. Mm-hmm. And so we thought, when Stratton closed, we could get the Stratton building and be and be boys to men. Well, they didn't. It didn't work out. Uh, but ten years later, we got the old Dawn of Hope building. Yeah, or, and Dawn of Hope got Stratton. And Dawn of Hope got Stratton, and now we, we're in the building, which turned out which was a much much better situation for mm-hmm. us yeah. than being in the Stratton building. Mm-hmm. So you went to have from having a team, and you decided to call yourself Boys to Men. Uh, it was like it was almost an epiphany because I woke up in the middle of the night, and it was like Boys to Men, and whether it was. The, the boys and men, which was a big group at that time. Yeah, does right. this predate the 90s? Uh... <laughs> right, right in that genre. Yeah. But also it was kind of what we were about, taking boys, because I grew up without a dad and and the whole dynamic. And so uh, be able to take boys and help shape them into becoming uh, men of character, men who mattered in this world, not just old boys mm. and so that was our name for a long long time and uh sometimes i still wish it was we call our boys groups boys to men but um uh it was that's what it started out with just boys and little girls started saying hey why can't i join and i said well you know it's kind of obvious um and then we just started having girls groups and mm. and at some point we changed the name to rise up for kids mm-hmm. mm. yeah so you know, I, I Dr. Becky works with families all the time. You see kids that don't have dads, and you see that it can have, in many cases, a a, a life altering negative For impact sure. on their lives. It, it can, but then you know, I see kids who do have dads and have life altering <laughs> negative. Yeah, <laughs> right. I, I, and I think, okay, wait a minute. Here you are, sort of surrogate fathering these mm-hmm. boys. For sure, and it seems to me like, and I don't want to put this in the, out there if it's not true, but. 
the the infa- the the good that you were doing in their lives was literally being just there being as an adult male in their lives, right? Being consistent mm-hmm. and uh, doing it over the long haul, and not just uh, giving advice or lectures, and certainly that was part of it, but just showing up on a regular basis. I called it a continual presence. Uh, I would go to school at lunch. Uh, now, they depending on what group you're in once or twice, depending on what time of year would you see me more and often, more often than other times. But it was that idea of creating a continual presence. We had a Sunday evening program, so kids felt like they saw me all the time because I remember kids speak in absolutes, so they saw me all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but really, they just saw me consistently. Well, and it, yeah. it kids <coughs> don't understand that they're important unless somebody makes them important. And so just the consistent presence and showing up uh, gave these kids that sense of, wait, I do matter, Mm. you know, and maybe I need to start making some choices that reflect the fact that I do matter Mm. um, rather than I don't matter. And to be able to uh, speak to their behavior, because often uh, and still true today than it was true almost 30 years ago, uh, behavior is often reflective of something happening on the inside. Mm-hmm. It isn't, and I tell this to my staff, and I tell this to adults who listen, kids don't wake up in the morning thinking about you. They don't think about, I'm going to go to school and just give my teacher mm-hmm. all kinds of problems. It's just a, it's, it's a reaction dealing with what's going, going on in their life. And, uh, and just by the fact that we taking those seven boys was just to see them. That's the operative word, see them, and to be seen, mm-hmm. and and to express disappointment in their behavior, not in them, but in their behavior, and expect more from them. Mm-hmm. I, and just that was life-changing. Now, does every kid or did every kid uh, change greatly? No, it's all degrees. I say we had some, we went to jail, we have some who Went to many went to college, many did well, some everybody in between, but they all knew that they had an equal chance of being loved and being accepted, and and so very very proud of after years and years of just seeing grown people and having second generation kids, how many of them just turned out to be just wonderful adults. Mm-hmm. So, so you made this point where you made a decision, I guess, to go okay, well. We're doing basketball programs, and we're meeting on Sunday nights, and we're have, and then we're going to have. No, this is like where I I'm going in my life now. So I, was that a hard transition? Was an easy transition? Fast transition or well, slow? I've always in. Some people say I'm a person of faith, so some of this stuff comes out. And uh, share that openly here. Okay. You are welcome uh, to do that. Like one of the things I once said whenever I leave this world is that Michael did everything he thought God wanted him to do, mm. except for he may have been confused from time to time. But he still acted on it. And so I've lived that way since I've really been a Jesus follower since 17. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it was like I had this full time gig. Uh, with the agency that I used to help start the group home. And, but it had flexibility, so I could make my own schedule. So when I started uh, Boys Men at that time, I would just make adjustments to my schedule. Mm-hmm. And so for the first five years that we did this, uh, I had a full-time job somewhere else. Mm-hmm. 
And it was like, because I didn't have the income to do it. Mm-hmm. And then when we got our first grant in 98, it was like, and I look back on now, and it's just hilarious. I got a salary of $20,000. <laughs> I thought I had arrived. <laughs> and so uh, it was you know, about what I was making at, the, at that time. Getting to it, do what you loved. Got mm-hmm. to do what I loved. Mm-hmm. And it was a three-year grant. It's like, I know I'm good for three years. Mm-hmm. And my wife, was she was uh, part of it, still is. Um, and it was like, let's just do it. And you know, again, not having a strategic plan uh, and not having that, I just know I was meeting with, at that time, two two groups a week. And my wife was meeting with a group of girls. And it was just, we were up to 30-some kids. Let's just, now we have the resources not a lot. Look back on it now. I can't hire people for that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, looking, we just had enough resources to do what we needed to do, and and thankfully we, we did. So and we, the basketball it began to expand to way more than just basketball, right? I will say this: um, we, at one point we had like eight or nine teams. Okay, uh, but the kids who did best. The boys, not necessarily girls. The boys who did best in our program were the kids who played basketball. Mm-hmm. And it had nothing to do with basketball. They think so. But it had nothing to do with basketball. It had to do with that more depth of commitment and the things that properly taught from sports. Mm-hmm. And we did properly teach things from sports. I uh, was able to do that. But it expanded much beyond that. It expanded to a daily after school. It expanded to job training. It expanded to uh, one-on-one mentoring program. Because we quickly realized that uh, as effective as what we were doing, we had limits. And, uh, and it was just looking back on all that, it was like revolutionary ideas at time, but now it's just common sense ideas. It was like the kids who did the best were the kids who had the uh, most connected relationships with us. Mm-hmm. Well, us was limited. Mm-hmm. And so we uh, said, why don't we start a mentoring program? At that time, it was only Big Brothers, Big Sisters was the only version of that out there. And so we started a mentoring program where Throughout the years, we've had hundreds and hundreds of kids who've had mentors and be able to teach principles and be there for them and and so forth. Uh, And I I tell all of our staff and any volunteers is that uh, you hang around a kid long enough, you get to teach them something. But if you try to teach them, you'll teach them nothing Mm -hmm. uh, because they – they say that again. If if you hang around a kid long enough, you get to teach them something. But if you continually try to teach them, you end up teaching them nothing mm. because they'll they'll be respectful and they'll listen. But uh, a lot of times as parents, as a parent of eight and Josh, a parent of teenagers, is you know that uh, we think that we're doing a good job of teaching because we're talking. Uh, but Now, wait a minute, Mike. This is getting too close to home. <laughs> it's about the teachable moments, right? It's, it's about, about the moments. moments that come yeah. up and you're there. And see, that's a, that's a, that's a big point in medical education. Right. You can lecture all you want all to, but it, that's, why, that's why residency or the apprenticeship period is so important because that's when you have the teachable moments. And unless you can connect what you're teaching to something that's happening that's significant in their life, then, then that's when the message makes sense to them and right. will stick. Right. So that's 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 what you're talking about here. Right. You're talking about those te- you get you take the teachable moments. You take the teachable moment. It's called I call it like standing by the window. Yeah. 
they see you on the other side mm-hmm. and you stand there. At some point, they open the window and ask you a question. Yep. <laughs> then you answer it. Then you I don't, love that. Then you don't take it personal when they shut the window back down. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh, you're valuable, but uh, it's, again, it's uh, it's engaging a child in, in whatever uh, situations and things you enjoy and being with them and that kind of stuff. And then they'll open the window and ask you a question. And you answer it. But you have to be there. You have, you to, have be to be there. present. You have to be present. Have to be present. <laughs> so you're working with people at this point, young people, boys and girls. Correct. They come after school to Correct. you. Correct. This is, and, and I guess there's a lot of little steps along the way, but here you are with a building that used to be an old school. Correct. And school bus arrives or a bus arrives after Correct. school. And I Correct. guess we have to talk about this in terms of... Uh, normal would be outside the realms of what you've been through over the past year, but yes. but normal, the model is they roll in and they get off that bus and you are the first person they meet, right? The first grownups Someone, after their teachers after at school. After their teacher, right. See, for a lot of kids, and most people don't realize this, let's just say true of half the kids in Johnson City. They don't have engagement with adults other than the school teachers or social workers. That is huge. Think about it. They don't have engagement with adults other than teachers or social workers. If they're on a sports team, maybe a coach. But it's like, uh, and I'm saying this is about true about half the kids, and I could document if I worked hard enough to verify it. And so you come to our program. And now some of our program is we're small groups when we go get you, or small groups when we go meet at church or some other place. So whether you come here or whether you're in our small group, we're the first adult that you don't have to meet because nobody's required to come to our small group or come to our program. Now, the parents may make them, but it's not, they're not required. Yeah. So we demonstrate we care for you. It's not our job. It's not our checkbox, a box we have to check to yeah. deal with you. And we teach our staff to always ask these three questions. And if adults ask these three questions on a regular basis, the world would be a better place. It's like, what's going on with that child? Why does his behavior, and I use the word his, his or hers, his behavior make me feel this way? I mean, if it's negative behavior. And then what's the impression I want to leave with that child? Because I t- teach our staff is that uh, five years from now, you'll just be a couple sentences in that kid's life. And you decide what those sentences are going to be. Well, he was always mad. He was always uptight. He was always telling me how to do things, you know. Yeah. And usually, and kids speak in, uh, in just short sentences. They go like, oh, he's all right. That's volumes. Yeah. That meant that he's... That, yeah, that he's really somebody who really you can trust and care. Right. Yeah. Right. Oh, she was always mad. Yeah. Would you mind going over those three questions again? Okay. Is, why does that kid act that way? Usually when they're acting out. All right. Or they're so hyper. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So why'd they act that way? Why did that bother me? Because usually... So, wait, wait. First off, is, let's assess the situation, right? Assess the situation. And, and, and ask why, right? What's ask going on? why. Either why within yourself and learn from observation or ask the kid, hey, what's going on? Now, you have to be really careful if you... And that's from knowing your kids. You ask in front of everybody else. It's like nothing or it's mm-hmm. like or none of your business or mm-hmm. some version of excuse and, you know, that kind of stuff. But when that kid is just uh, not listening today, it's not they woke up that day and were like, today is my day. I don't listen. Mm-hmm. It's you know, something's going on. And if let's just say that kid is not listening, it makes me feel disrespected. 
Right. That's the second question. That's the second question. How does that make me feel? And I think that's where a lot of people get lost with kids, isn't it? Like, you are making me feel like I can't stand you. Yeah, you're not respecting me. Yeah. You're not, you're not following the rules. You're not, and, and it's like, see how my finger's doing? It's just like, it's like, (laughs) I'm kind of getting scared. (laughs) Right. And it's like, it's like, I am, you're doing something to me. Yeah. And so the question, I always, I tell, I tell this to parents, I tell this to anyone, listen. I don't. Ha- I, Michael and Sherry, man, we don't have the per- we don't have perfect kids, but we have the perfect kids for us mm-hmm. to help make us be the best adults we can be. Oh, okay. Yeah. And so when that kid is pushing a button that you may not even be aware of, there's something in you that needs some work. It's your button. It's your button. Yeah. All right. And that kid did not wake up thinking about you. You're just not that important. And so um, in your own head, you are, mm-hmm. but not to that that kid. And then you have to think, okay, when I leave this interaction, I'm going to leave an impression. See, impression is a neutral word. We think of it as, as a negative word, but it's a neutral word. I'm going to leave an impression. And that kid, if I handle it wrong, they're going to remember it. One sentence. They're going to learn something. They're mm-hmm. going to learn something. And if you say <laughs> the wrong sentence, they'll remember it. Mm-hmm. I can give a kid 100 compliments, and they won't remember them. But I can give something cutting. And they'll remember it years down the road. Yeah. And that's how they'll remember. Mm-hmm. And so uh, now you can overcome that with grace and continue acting for forgiveness, et cetera. But it's like, what is the impression I want to leave? In the same way with my own kids, the same way with my wife, you know, when she, uh, if she's something, all right, and I have an amazing wife, and, uh, and I want to be snarky back, you know, and then like, you know, what I, how do I leave this? Mm-hmm. Um, and so if we're doing that with kids, uh, the world will just be a better place. Because kids, kids, the kids I work with, and I say half the kids in Johnson City who do not have consistent adult engagement outside of the uh, professionals, uh, they, they have more than ever, we have mental health issues pre-COVID, okay? This mm-hmm. is a, COVID only gets to amplify them or recognize them pre-COVID. But after decades of boys and girls growing up without dads or consistency, an expression I created a long time, it's very bad grammar, but it's very accurate. Father lesserness, mm-hmm. like they know who their dad is, but not necessarily he's a significant part positive significant part in their life they're always significant it's whether aware or not mm. uh unconscious or not you're always significant negatively significant or positively significant oh i think that's huge and so, yeah people will talk about i didn't have a dad i didn't have a father figure yeah you did yeah you did he just wasn't there or he, he exists you just didn't head. have a relationship with him and, and and what and the form in which he exists is negative Mm-hmm. A very mm-hmm. ominous negative vapor that's there mm-hmm. in your life that follows you everywhere you go. Mm-hmm. That's a huge thing I never thought. And you call it fatherlessness. <laughs> fatherlessness. I mean, it's not you're not fatherlessness. You're not an orphan. Yeah. Somebody uh, made you. Somebody made you. Yeah. And most kids, I know very, very few kids, and I've dealt with literally thousands of kids over the years. I know very few kids who don't know who their dad is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Is but they've never had engagement with their dad. And it's just amazing when I see, I mean, I've seen this play out dozens, if not hundreds of times, uh, boys who get to see their dad once a year or twice a year, or dad finally shows up and this, this ideal images that they're going to create, this dot, and it's like, 
and to just see the little broken heart. Oh, yeah. Because uh, expectations for expectations. children can be huge. Oh. Can be huge. You know, I'm here curious, Coach, if you could look back, there have to be some themes that come out of what children need. Like, you know, like Becky and dear friends, and so we're constantly thinking, what do our kids need in this moment? Well, they need new shoes, they need new clothes, they need... but there are big things. And I'd love to hear if the takes from both of you on this, mm-hmm. because you know, as a pediatrician and someone who is, works in child development, you, you've got to probably take on this too. What are some, the big things, if you had to boil it down and say, children need from the grownups in, the li- in their lives? Uh, I went to Peru once for Compassion International to do some visiting with kids and, and whatnot. And it very materially poor place. And my takeaway f- from my trip in Peru was, in America, we are materially rich. doesn't matter. Our poorest of poor to uh, at least half the world is rich, okay? Mm-hmm. But we are, our kids are relationally poor. Uh, we have professional relationships, but uh, our kids need consistent engagement with character and caring adults. And this is the first generation ever in America's history where they don't rely upon the adults in their life for their worldview and their information. It's all right here. Mm-hmm. And he okay. points to his phone. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's all right here. And you know how the algorithm works. Mm-hmm. If, if you're a Democrat and you push a Democrat uh, page or something, you'll get plenty of support to that. Mm-hmm. Same way with Republicans, pro-vaccine, anti-vaccine, whatever you push. If you like gonna, these types of shoes, you see this type of ads. It all pops So up. it's affirming what you're already believing. Right. All right, so imagine as a kid, your worldview is right there in that little device. And then you keep pushing, you get more and more and more. And, but kids still need adults to help interpret that worldview and how to respond to it. They're more than ever in need of adults to help them navigate a world that is, I used to think, now the pediatrician you may disagree with me and not understand if you do. When I first started what I was doing, we were a kid-first culture. Now, we may have acted out over here and whatnot. Like when I was growing up in Hancock County, my family was a bunch of boozers, et cetera, right? But they kept it over there, and I was over here, right? And if they were being promiscuous, whatever they were doing, it was over there, and the kids were over here. Now it's like— Yeah, you weren't aware of it because it wasn't staring you in the face 24-7. Right. And was, no matter how they acted, right. they had a higher standard right. for their kids. Yeah. Okay? yeah. Right. Now it's like— it's just no longer true. No. The kids are in the mess, right in kids, the middle of their parents' mess. Right. Because everybody can see everything that you're doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And instead of, uh, like when I grew up, it was like, okay, this is right or wrong. Now, you may do wrong, but you wouldn't like change the narrative and change mm-hmm. the definition. Mm-hmm. And so you have kids who don't have the strong parents or to help them navigate that. So I would say more than ever, kids need consistent engagement from caring and character-driven adults. Now, there's some consistent engagement with low-character adults, mm-hmm. which is just using them for their own purposes. Mm-hmm. And that that's one. Uh, they, need, uh, they need people who believe in them. 
and they need acceptance. Acceptance no matter how they're doing. There's a difference between accepting and approving from Mm -hmm. the adults. Because I grew up in a culture and unfortunately probably parented my first set of kids. My first set, we adopted some. So over uh, our kids range from 17 to 37. So it's that first group that uh, shame-based approval, do this, lecture, do that, yeah. uh, instead of going behind. And, and kids have so much more, as and you would attest this, so more mental health issues than ever, ever before. And we're not getting better at that. And they're not getting better. We're just trying to find medical solutions or behavior solutions. And behavior is just a... It's just a response to what's happening on the inside. That's right. why I say, ask the question, what's going on with this kid? Right. And uh, instead of saying, and I, and I say this, I love being 60. I just turned 60. I don't love some of the side effects. But, I mean, I want my 60s to be my best decade yet. But too many people my age, we're always, we spend too much time talking about how it was mm-hmm. or how it ought to be mm-hmm. instead of how it can be. Exactly. And how it oh, is. Yeah. And we, we pull out, and it's, it's always interesting, I'm sure you understand this, is that we look at the problems of kids today and we pull out one thread and goes, that's it. Right? They play too many video games. They're always uh, on their phone. They're always on their phone. Yeah. Uh, you know, they, uh, they don't have hard work ethic. You know, we pull out one little thread, and all those are true, right? They all are true, but they're all together. Yeah. And it all really goes back to when you were little, and did you have, and I say every kid, every kid in America needs a cheerleader, a coach, and a champion. Yeah. Someone who just says, you're amazing. I'm going to stand up for you. And this is how you ought to do this. All right, this is how to do it better. How to do it better. And then if somebody really, if somebody's really standing in their way, somebody to come at, to be the superhero and say, you're going to move so this kid gets a chance. Right. Your take on what you're hearing from him, from somebody who's cared for kids for as a career, as a pediatrician. I mean, is this, this is, I'm seeing you nodding your head a lot. I just would love your, I, I mean, it, it's, it's really nice, right? Because I speak from a kind of a scientist point of view, right? right. Um, and so it's really nice when I get to hear somebody who has not had the years of schooling <laughs> that I have had, um, get it mm-hmm. right. Yeah. Just really get it. And to be able to put it into words that people can understand yeah. because sometimes, you know, because I'm sitting here going, here's how I would have said what he just said. Right. <laughs> but he just said it better because everybody's <laughs> going to understand what he said. Yeah. Well, yeah. part of it comes with working with kids mm-hmm. and is to be able to, uh, say something quick and be able to put it in a way they can understand it and and restate it. Mm-hmm. And uh, like we have a thing in Rise Up, we call it the Creed, right? It was the original curriculum of Rise Up because we started this thing like, what am I supposed to do? And I sit down one day and I go like, what are the nine things I think every kid ought to know? Mm-hmm. And that's all we're going to do. Then I reduce it down to five because it's easier to to remember, mm-hmm. right? And the first one is that I'm a man in training. Mm-hmm. I always want kids to understand you're always you never become the man, or you never stop becoming a man. Mm-hmm. It's an ongoing process. Or a woman, uh, I have a choice in everything I think, say, and do. Is that number two? That's number two. Mm-hmm. Is that it's like we? I want kids to know because they're almost c- conditioned. 
to make excuses for why they do things. Mm-hmm. And I teach them. And if you've been with me long enough, I'd like, yeah, no, you had a choice. Mm-hmm. I know. Personal responsibility. Yeah, I have mm-hmm. a choice in everything I think. Mm-hmm. Because I tell kids, the biggest liar you know, it's always fun. Mm-hmm. Well, if we have a new group, who's the biggest liar you know? They, uh, mm-hmm. No, the biggest liar you know is, mm-hmm. is you. Because mm-hmm. you're always telling yourself stuff that isn't true. Yeah. They have a choice in everything I think, say, I couldn't help it. It's like, oh, yeah, you could. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. there's some people with medical conditions that can say things, but you don't have it. Mm-hmm. You don't have Tourette's. Um, right. and, um, and so and it's funny after I've kid long enough, they'll be like, I know I don't have Tourette's. Yeah. You know, you have a choice. I have a choice. You have a choice in everything you think, say, and do. And do. Uh, my future is not determined by my past. That's number three. Mm, that's it's like, beautiful. I don't care where you come from. Mm-hmm. I mean, I care. That's the mountain to me. When we say I don't care. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't care where you come from. I mean, there have been many people. The thing about kids, they always think their situation's unique. Mm-hmm. It's just unique to them. It's not unique. Yeah. There have been plenty of people who grew up out of dad. There are no new problems. There's no new problems. It's just new to you. Yeah. And see, as people who work with kids, we need to understand is they really believe whatever experience they believe is very unique. Right. And you've got to go like, I know there's been a billion people who've been 14 before, mm-hmm. uh, and they they didn't drop out of school because mm-hmm. they were 14. Um, so my future not determined by my past. And it's so easy to go look at if you come from the uh, tough situation, family background or whatever. It's like, I'm going to be just like that. Mm-hmm. No, your future not determined by your past. Mm-hmm. And so by the time a kid gets 15, 16 in our program, they've heard that hundreds of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I can achieve all my dreams. I can achieve all my dreams. All That's my number dreams four. with God through hard work and ignoring those who try to drag me down. Mm-hmm. Because if you try to succeed, and you come from a non-successful background, it's better for those who are not trying to succeed to drag you down than for them to have to go like, well, why can't I do that? To face, yeah, to do uh, the hard work of facing oh, why yeah. they're not right. achieving. And, and we probably cannot conceive of the extent to which your kids are living with in the presence of people who are actively trying to tear them down. Right. And it's it's worse in our peer groups because it's, uh, it's kind of like, well, uh, let's just use drugs as an example. I, I don't... Uh, I don't do pop because I I want to be on the ball team or I want to do this, I want to do that. Well, you just think you're better than me. Yeah. It's like, oh, you won't get in trouble. You have 14 days for the county system. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, you're one of those, you know, whatever, whatever. Mm-hmm. And a you know, kid has to make choices. And one of the beautiful things about Rise Up is that we expect kids to make mistakes. Mm-hmm. And yeah. most programs go like, when you make a mistake, i you're out. You're out, okay, because you make mistakes. But how can you experience grace or learn from your mistakes? I call it a controlled environment to teach about mistakes. If you don't have a caring, engaged adult to help you unpack why that mistake happened. Why that mistake happened. Mm-hmm. And see, and so, and so what happened is most adults, especially in my age, it's shame or intimidation. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you should yeah. have done that. Mm-hmm. It's like, gee whiz, I smoke pot for a brief little while in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's like, okay, there's some other things I did. But I mean, and I was, and I was considered a very good kid. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so and, and so I pushed a little boundaries in my little very confined, uh, upright self. And uh, I did all right. And so, uh, 
to be able to take kids, when you make a mistake, we're going to walk with you through this. We're going to talk with you through this. We're not going to think of you lesser. That's a mistake. That's not a. That's not you. That's mm-hmm. something you did. Mm-hmm. And so that's something you made a choice to do. Mm-hmm. You may not realize it, but you had a choice. And you, know, you can achieve all your dreams through God, hard work, because now— if I'm following up on that, now that's just to create fun, if I'm following up on that, because one day I realized that I'm sitting there and say, oh, you can achieve all your dreams. And they're like, that kid can't sing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and if they if they got an asp- aspiration, I want to be a singer. And I'm like, you can't carry a tune. You can't carry a tune. So how, how are you going to accomplish that dream? And I'm like, huh. But then it come to me, I think God gave it to me, is that and this is true of adults or children. You can accomplish any dream you want. As long as you don't try to add two things to it, fame or fortune. Ah. If you don't try to add fame or fortune to it, I'm going to make my living being a singer. Mm-hmm. That's when it becomes a, moves from being a dream to a, a drudgery thing. Mm-hmm. I need to have a million followers or a uh, hundred fans or sell a million albums or a thousand albums. But if you just want to be a dancer... There's a dog just dances. dance. Just dance. Yeah. Go the nursing homes, they don't they just glad you show up. Go over there and sing. Yeah. Uh you know, you can share just, your gift. Share your gift. Share your dream. As long as you don't add fame or fortune right. to it. You try to quantify it. Yeah. Because kids are trained to quantify. How how good are you? Well, I don't know. Let's look at your GPA. Mm-hmm. Let's look at GPA. Your test score. Let's, let's look at your likes. Yeah. Let's look at your uh exactly. your dislikes. Right. Uh, you know, let's, so you know, remove that. And you can accomplish any dream. Whatever, whatever your dream is, you can just go do it. What's number five? Uh, it's a repeat of, <laughs> of number one. What's that? I'm a man in training. Oh, after all of that. Oh, wait a minute. I, mean, I, I dropped off. It's, no, it's a, the last one is, I'm a successful, wonderful, awesome guy. Swag. Uh-huh. It's just an affirmation. It's that, yeah, that, and sometimes we add a verse to it or not, that, you know, God made you. God made you just how you are. Now, some of us add a little bit more to it, lost a little bit, but God has made you just how you are. And there's nothing about your personality or your intellect you need to change Mm -hmm. Uh, because you are just successfully wonderful, awesome guy. You may do some things that are not particularly wonderful or awesome, but that's not who you are. And then we repeat the first line, I'm a man in training. So. That's wow. awesome. That's I, awesome. I mean, it is really nice. I to wanna, hear. before you leave, one thing you told you said that whenever I met with you has stuck with me, and it talks about, and we referenced this before you came in about about actions and how some actions have short term pain but long term benefits, mm-hmm. and how you've used that in your teaching with children. Mm-hmm. And I thought, oh my gosh, I want to hear that again, and I want you to share that with our listeners. Well, one of the Bad teaching that adults do with kids is we think when they do that we try to shame them and tell them, "Oh, you doing that? That was a bad thing, and that's going to lead this or that or whatever." We do things because they're a reward to them. And what I learned over the years, and what I teach over the years, is that unwise behavior has short-term rewards. And as adults, we got to know that. 
doing that thing that we think is unwise, there's a reward to it. As a pediatrician, you know, there's that dopamine working up there. There's those those uh, chemicals floating in those brains. There's a short-term reward. But unwise behavior usually has long-term consequences. Now, why? Negative consequences. Negative consequences. Yeah. Right. Now, uh, wise behavior usually has short-term, short-term discomfort. Yes. Because of people going like we used the analogy earlier, smoking pots. Like you're going to get some uh, group shame, mm-hmm. group this or that. Yeah, they're going to try to make you feel they're small because you're not doing you're it. You're going to feel small. They're going to text, "Hey, he's a mm-hmm. nerd. You're left he, out. Uh, you whatever. don't get to feel high from the drug. You don't get to. Or, you, know, you told me like shoplifting. Like shoplifting. You steal, I get the shoes. I got them. They're got mine. Them. All right. And um, and so you will have some short term consequences. But what we would tell kids, like if you do the right thing, like no, you do the right thing, buddy, you're gonna have some short term consequences. I mean, short term uh, consequences, but you're gonna have some long term rewards. Yeah. But Mike, aren't you really saying that everything is a consequence? You know, we talk about our behavior. That's the buzzword for parents now. Is oh, you're gonna face a consequence for that, and. <laughs> There are everything is has a consequence. You're talking about it has a negative consequence. Yeah. Well, see, here's the thing, Josh, is that uh, I like to say I'm a, I'm a wordsmith. That I, <laughs> and the thing is that consequence actually is a, is a it's neutral a neutral word, word. <laughs> but we always use it in a negative, and a negative, right. negative uh, right. That's right. situation. And I think that's the and so it. it's like yeah, you use consequence automatically. It's like kids. I mean, you just wash their body language. You say mm-hmm. consequence. Their shoulders start. Drooping or raising one or the other, mm. you know, it's like something's coming, you know. And yeah. so, I've learned over the years come up new words uh, that they just yeah. that they that I'll use the word blindside them. That's probably not the most accurate word, but at least they're not creating a wall before you get to the yeah. issue by, yeah. by using a trigger word like right. consequence. Consequence yeah. consequences is a, is a trigger word. And as a pediatrician, I would suggest you. Maybe you already done this, a list of words that hand parents never to say. Consequences. Uh, <laughs> consequences is. I mean, it's like I, I tell because I'm old enough now. I get to help some younger parents. Like, never tell a kid he has an attitude because if they don't have one, they're definitely going to have one after you say it. Well, of course they have one. The question's whether it's a healthy or <laughs> yeah, it's a good attitude or a bad attitude. Right. Yeah, no, I use a lot. I I raised my children. Well, I'm raising my children with the word consequence because, mm-hmm. um, and, and it is used in the negative connotation with my own children, but my own children are coming from a far different background sure. than many of the children sure. that they, you're they working with. They inherently understand that. Yeah, but I think they do. But the word is just the most efficient, I think, to convey that um, all you make choices constantly. We just talked about this. Everything you do is a choice and your choice can either have a good consequence or a bad consequence mm-hmm. and you have to decide in the moment if you're at the party well i have girls so anyway if you're if you're in alone in a car with a boy and hormones are taking the wheel and you have to decide in that moment what is going to what you're going to do in that moment um and you can either you know and you can do what feels good and what is going to make that boy tell you he loves you or you can do what doesn't feel good in that moment that's going to keep you safe and keep you um, from having you know a consequence right. <laughs> a negative consequence of that behavior so right. yeah so it's uh, yeah but it's a neutral word and uh, that's a concept that I'm taking away from this conversation is these are neutral words and we have to be careful about what sort of connotations we put on the neutral words. One of the things we try to do at Rise Up, and again, it's it's all different levels of 
success in Serena, but you know, teach kids to be thinkers, mm-hmm. and not just reactors, mm-hmm. not just this thing. And, and think about uh, your consequences, your rewards. And that's why in, in Rise Up, we just have basically, I have a lot of lessons, but really just 10 or 15 things that we're going after. And that one of those is on, on our wall is that every choice has a reward and a consequence. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's just so that if you see that enough, then somewhere you will you stop and think. Stop and think. What is the reward for this, and what and is what the consequence, consequence for that? And there's always a reward, and there's always, always a consequence. A consequence. Yeah. Mike, we just have a few minutes left. Okay, you, you are working with kids every day, helping them with homework. You're playing with them, leading them, teaching them, feeding them. Right. I mean, how can people help you? Well, you know, I'm more now like the quarterback. I have a lot of players on my team that do all those things. Uh, and I'm just more like the uh, empowering my people to do those things. But as I said earlier, is that uh, a wise man, the studies will show, and I forget which study, is that every kid needs five non-parental relationships to the age of 18 uh, to be to reach the optimum success. And I, I was, remember I, I met with uh, Chap Clark, who's written several books on this, and he said, and I was about the five, and I said, well, you can't get to five until you get to two. And, that, uh, and, so that, and so that we need mentors to get to two. And you know, we as a program, we're one, uh, but uh, to get to number two is that we need adults who come along. Now, we, have, we divide uh, volunteers into two groups, task volunteers, feed a meal, help with homework, et cetera, uh, but relationship volunteers. Now, every kid that you relationally, you come mentor, does not necessarily mean that they'll be successful or you'll have a good experience. We just know what will happen if they don't have mentors. Mm-hmm. We don't know what will happen if they will have mentors. And so uh, we need people, you know, like every nonprofit, we need funds. And we're a little mom and pop kind of place. Uh, but um, we need, uh, if if you really want to go deep, and this is what I teach, this is the old man in me, Josh. As I say, every man ought to teach one plus five while they're alive. Because it takes six people to carry your casket out of this world, okay? And I don't want Rick and the old man my age carrying my casket. I don't want to be <laughs> dropped at church. Um, and so, in, in other words, I want my legacy to those six young men go forward. And we only will do that if we're intentional. And uh, so we, we'd lo- love to have people just come volunteer. You go to the website. Which call- is? Uh, riseupforkids.org okay. uh, or you can go phone number 610-1242 so I want to answer it and, and set up a meeting time and so forth and uh, there's uh, we can find you on social media and all those things and uh, uh, are you on social media? Mike I, I, I can just feel your pain right now my friend uh, uh, I know they put stuff on there. Okay. <laughs> okay. I, I mean, I'm sorry. You have to have a presence now. Right. If you don't they have do. a presence. I, they for sure do. Okay. And he has some great people who make yeah, sure they, they put do. stuff yeah. on there. And, and uh, Mike has looked at it never. <laughs> uh, I post personally twice a year on my wife's anniversary. Oh. And if some significant event happens, <laughs> I'll, I'll post something. Yeah, they do. Yeah. So it's Rise Up Johnson City. and that's uh, Rise Up for Kids. Rise Up for Kids. Yeah. Uh, John, uh, Johnson on City. Fa- on Facebook, uh, I know it's Rise Up for Kids. Uh, and the website's riseupforkids.org. Awesome. 
Mike, Marion. That's amazing. Amazing we, conversation. Thank you so much for being you. here. Or as everybody calls you, Coach. Coach, thank you. And it all started when they couldn't figure out where they call me Mr. <laughs> and, it's, uh, and it's just Coach is stuck. So, coach, it's yeah. a blessing. Thanks for your time. Well, thank, thank you. you. Doing Good, the podcast is a production of Market Street Media in Johnson City, Tennessee.